Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. You guys doing okay so far? Daylight savings time. Um, whew, great worship set early in the morning. So far, so good. I'm still waking up. I didn't have all my coffee that I needed, so I'm, I'm a little behind as well. Well, welcome, everybody, again. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we're cranking through this new, um, I guess we're halfway through, um, the series, The Health of Your Soul, Conducting a Spiritual Inventory. So before we hop into our topic, I wanted to get a little a survey with where we're all at. Um, there's, have you ever seen the scale before? As far as like social trends or fashion or the way you understand the world, there's innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, and laggers. And, uh, and so what that means is like in a new fashion sense of the word, um, for me, I am a laggard. I, when something finally makes it to clearance at Old Navy, I'm like, oh, people are wearing these kind of shirts now. But it's already been through, you know, New York. And it's always been through all the fancy places and finally made it through Banana Republic, through Gap, through Old Navy and Old Navy clearance. And I'm like, oh, that's a thing now. So I am definitely a lagger when it comes to, uh, to fashion. Um, when it comes to everything else, I may be late majority or always a lagger. That's how I would self-identify. But just by a show of hands, how many of you would self-identify as innovators? Who are the innovators out there? Really? Wow. I get you don't want to be like, check me out, but that's okay. Early adopters, there for sure have to be some early adopters in here. Sort of. Okay. Interesting. Uh, early majority, some of you guys. Late majority and fellow laggards. All right. Yeah, you just got to embrace it. Well, here's the deal. It sucks to be a laggard. It stinks to always be on the end of all the cool things that are happening. You go, oh, I hear this guy, Ken Lamar. He's like, a rapper, I guess. And it turns out, no, he's been around forever and people really love him. And I'm like, I couldn't even name one song, but I'm trying and then I can't. Okay. So I'm tired of being a laggard. And so um, I got wind of something and uh, it turns out there's this thing called cryptocurrency. Are you aware of cryptocurrency? It's huge. It's taking over the world. And, um, and so, you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of being a laggard. I'm going to get in on this thing. I'm getting in on it. And uh, so I, I got all of my birthday money. I, uh, I scraped together some savings. And I said, you know what, for fun, to jump in so I can like be in and hip and know what's going on in the world, I'm throwing some cash down into the crypto market. This is a Ethereum. It's nerdy. It's like you're mining for ore if you play Settlers of Catan. That's what it all sounds like. But I'm like, I'm in. And I threw some money down and I invested in Ethereum because I want to be an early adopter. But just like this bar, um, you can see there's the, the early adopter. And there's the people like all of November and December, everything was going crazy. So then by the end of December and January, I'm like, maybe I should get in. So where did I get in? <laughs> right there. I threw all my money in. I'm so excited. And I've lost half of it, you know, and, and it's, been, it's been an incredible journey. But you know what? Maybe over the next 10 years, I'll look back and go, I was an early adopter. But right now, I feel like a laggard. I feel like a sucker. My wife is like, you don't get to spend any money ever again. And as my investment started to crumble and get taken in half and taken in half again and just crash and burn, I started to realize what I thought was just a fun little thing um, actually impacted my soul a little bit. Because I wasn't just thought, haha, wouldn't this be fun to be in the cryptocurrency market? I thought, wouldn't that be cool if my tiny little investment 
paid for my retirement one day, right? If everything goes at 25 times a year for the next 10 years, I'm going to be a millionaire. And, um, but it didn't, right? And, but I realized there was this hope that I, I was hoping that this stupid little investment, there was some part of me thought, this could actually set me up in the long run. We don't, you know, we don't get stock options uh, as pastors, but we, we get front row seats in heaven. That's what I was told. So, <laughs> but we still have a retirement. And so, so I thought, man, maybe this would help add some protection to me. Um, what's interesting is, part of what I realized too, as I thought about it as tumbling down, is there's this weird gambling sensation, right? This dopamine that happens where it's like, oh, this is so exciting. And every day, the number one app on my phone for a month was my little Coinbase app going, how much money do I make today? And, or how much money am I losing? And the loss of dopamine over and over again realized, oh my goodness, I was trying to cope with something. I wanted something to kind of, you know, to make me feel better, and I thought this might be it. And then I also thought, <laughs> which backfired. Wouldn't it be so cool if I was on the front end of this cryptocurrency extravaganza and then I could tell people I was on the front end of this cryptocurrency extravaganza. Instead, I lost half my money. And so it, did, it kind of backfired. Well, the reason why I tell you that is because today we're going to look at an awful topic. I can't believe Jeff always, he picks the beautiful ones and makes them cry and then I get these ones about money. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What is satisfying your soul? Is it God or mammon? And what I thought about is what we want to do is we want to lift up the, the, the hood of our car and, we look, and, we, and we're rumbling around seeing what in the world is going on inside of us. How are we doing in our walk with God? And we have these different indicators. There's these different questions that we ask that help us figure out, am I moving towards a life in Christ? And one of the indicators, and it doesn't really seem like a natural indicator, but one of the indicators is our relationship to money, is our relationship to wealth, is our relationship to material goods. And how we relate to those things is an indicator of how we're moving towards a life in Christ. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. What is satisfying your soul? Is it God or is it mammon? So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 19. Now, Matthew 6, verse 19, this is uh, near the front end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon that Jesus preached um, in his ministry. Um, he preached it on the shores of Galilee, which is this kind of the cuts. It's like the, how I, it's, it's the uh, Orville of, of Israel, okay? I mean, it's not a really cool place. It's not an affluent place. A bunch of farmers, a bunch of fishermen. And, um, and in this grouping of people, this is where uh, Jesus gives a sermon. He says to them, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are full and healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy and your whole body will be full of darkness, then the light within you is darkness. And how great is that darkness. And he concludes this little, this little part with this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. For you cannot serve both God and money. And it's what's wild. The whole Sermon on the Mount is this way. We think Jesus was such a nice teacher. Every part of the Sermon on the Mount is like this brutal gut check. And this part about money is no joke either. So you cannot serve both God and money. And so as we look up the hood, we're going to this morning take a look at wealth and our relationship with wealth and materialism and try to figure out what does that have to say about our walk with God. But before we do, there's a couple things that I want to make sure we just get clear. One, 
almost always when we talk about money, everyone's hearts, um, heartbeats go up. I'm sweating through my shirt already. I'm like trying to keep my arms down. It is a nerve-wracking experience. Um, and, and part of it is, I think there's a core, um, there's, I mean, there's lots of core sins to it, but one of the core things uh, that, that seems to come up with wealth is this idea of resentment and envy and covetedness. And when we start talking about wealth, it just rises in us. And in our context, we love having resentment towards the 1%. So 1% and we're all the 99%. And we always like, we, it's always couched like, we care about the poor. But every movement that has like had resentment towards the wealthy, the poor have always still gotten the shaft the whole way through. It is a weird thing. It is not our love for the poor that makes us hate the rich. It's just simply our resentment towards those who have more than we do. And I think we just need to have a gut check and just go, when I think of wealth and when I think of what God's doing in my heart, am I, am I, is there resentment there? And before we can really get and move to this next thing, maybe that is just your thing. Is there resentment that God needs to uproot and work on and deal with so that you can actually deal with the deeper issues of what God wants to do um, with finances? What's so funny, like I said, the Sermon on the Mount, that was, Jesus didn't go to Herod's temple in Jerusalem and speak to the wealthy and said, listen, you cannot serve money and God. He, he said it to, to peasants, to poor people. And in the ancient world, there's no middle class. There was no upper middle class. You were either a wealthy, 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 1%, 0.05% of the people, or you were basically in abject poverty working 15 to 20 hours a day trying to get enough substance to live. It's to those people, to the poorest farmers and the, the, from the, the, the worst um, region in the area, it was from those people that Jesus said, you cannot serve both money and God. And so this isn't a, a, a message to wealthy people. It's a, it's a message to everybody. So that's one thing. The second thing is this. You can just relax. It's not a, a message about tithing. And Okay, so just relax. This is a message, though, for you. It's not a message for me. I mean, it is a message for me, but it's not a message for the person sitting right next to you, right? It's not a message for your mom or for your kid. This is a message for you. If you want to understand what God has to do, if you want to take a look at what wealth is doing and how that is impacting your walk with God, then you need to be willing to be open and say, God, what do you have to say to me about wealth? And for whatever reason, both wealth and sexuality, those seem to be the two topics that actually impact the corest part of our being. And so whenever those two topics come up, the first thing we immediately do is we look around and go, who's doing it worse than me? This message is for those people. That's our, that's our go-to so we can feel better about ourselves. But I just want to take a pause. That's good. That's what we do in our normal life. But for this morning, to get through this message, what if we can just pause and say, this is not a message for those people. This is a message for me. Because this message, this whole series is about God. What is the state of my soul? How am I doing in my walk towards you? And one of the indicators is, am I loving wealth instead of am I loving you? So with that being said, there's a, there's a, a verse that we've been looking at at the beginning of all these messages. And it comes from Psalm 139. It says this, Search me, God. Know my heart. And test my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So this morning, would you pray with me and let that be our prayer this morning. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I pray that you would have your way with me.
this morning. There's so many things that I want to do to protect my heart, to protect the way that others see me, the way that you see me, all the ways that I've justified everything in my life. But for this morning, God, I pray that I would look under the hood and allow space for your Holy Spirit to search me and know my heart, to test me and know my anxious thoughts, to reveal any offensive way in me and to lead me along the way everlasting. And all of God's kids said, amen and amen. So we're just going to take a look at this last statement here. It says, you cannot serve both God and money. And the word serve, that's what we like. That's like in the NIV. It's really nice. But what it really means is it means to be a slave. You cannot be a slave. The Greek word is, is dulio. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, Greg. Is that close enough? Sure. Thanks, man. That's the word. It's the word slave. It's to be obedient to, to be submissive to. And what a weird thing. Like, it's funny. Like, we, we want to move towards Christ, but we don't even really, that's, but a good Christian, a true Christ follower is someone who is submitting to Jesus, that we become a slave to Jesus, that we're submitting more and more. We're obedient to our master. We're the servant. Like that's the, the mindset, the, the movement that God is inviting us to. And we don't like that language. We don't like the way, um, what that means for us. But it is weird to think about that. What does it mean to be a slave, to be obedient, to be submissive to, subordinate to? And we have an option. To, are we subordinate to God and to the things of God? Or are we a subordinate and, and, a, and submissive to wealth? And that's, I think, is, is a challenging way. So servant is kind of the light like, way to get through it. But I think if you really dive in, I think that word is really challenging. I think we have to just give pause and say, man, what am I a slave to? What are the things that I am like tuning my life to? I'm, you know, and it's all sort of, I mean, we have so many vices. Our flesh is so weak. There's so many things that we do that to. And money is one of those main things that captures us. But what's interesting is it's not just money. It says you cannot serve both God and money. That's what the NIV says. But in the Greek it says you cannot serve both God and mammon or mammona. That's what it says in Greek. And in Latin it's mammon. And mammon is a much more broader term, right? It's money and riches, wealth, material goods. So when we say it's not just, you can't just serve money. It's not just about money. It's not just about wealth. It's, it's all that. It's just like that whole pile of stuff that is wealth and riches and material goods. And what's interesting is because, and I think that's helpful because all of us in different seasons of our lives, there's different parts of that equation that capture us more. You know, my son, he's 13. He doesn't care about wealth in the slightest, but he's with some material goods he really cares about. Right? There's some, my mom, she's retired. There's some material goods she does not care at all about, but there's some wealth that she wants to make sure she has as she finishes retirement, right? And so mammon makes sure that we all are living in the same part of the world. So I thought there's kind of basically three things that I think mammon does that replaces what God longs to do in our lives. The first is this. Mammon is security. I, uh, I Google searched um, retirement and I found these happy people. Look at them. They're counting their pennies. Everything on that table is like one heart pill, you know? I don't know, Greg, is that what older people have, heart pills or something, right? Sorry, that was too far. You're right. I'm sorry. But what's interesting is, what a silly picture. They're so happy, and they're counting pennies. If you are retired, and you're now going, I'm going to gather the loose change in my world to figure out the rest of my life. Like, you are in so much trouble. Like, you are on the verge of destitute. Retirement is a gnarly thing. I mean, I'm in my early 40s, I just like a week ago was like, maybe I should consider retirement. My dad's retiring. My mom's retired. Art's getting ready to retirement. People who I love are retiring. And that's complex. Fixed income. 
not sure, you know, watching your, your 401k go up and down with the stock market, like that is nerve wracking in the amount of anxiety that it causes people. And, and, and so I know for people who are retired and retiring, boy, gosh, money matters. And the security of wanting to make sure you have enough to pay for your health care and your medicine and your housing is overwhelming. Some of us come from family systems and backgrounds where we just never had enough. And so we're not even close to retirement, but it is just in you to be so fearful of money and needing money because you don't know where your next meal is going to come from or your next rent payment is going to come from. And so you live in this perilous fear. And so mammon has taken the place of God that mammon is what's going to give us security. If we can just get our heads around that, if we can just get enough money, then we're going to be fine. There's this passage in 1 Timothy. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought, nothing, we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Gosh, what a hard word. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. And it is such a difficult thing because we know we need money to live. But money is a thing. If we have food, if we have shelter. And let's be honest, where we live is a brutal place. It is be- it's beautiful as all get out. But this is a hard place to retire. It's a hard place to live in general. And the amount of people that come through our church, that come through my life, who come here and started here and had to make the decision to move on because they cannot make it here, which is an okay thing. And I just think we need to be open. The things that we want and we desire end up causing us to be a slave to money when we realize contentment with the most basic things is what God promises to care for us for. And then anything on top of that will spin us out. So, so, so mammon is not what gives us security, but it is Jesus who is our provision. So when we think of, man, we need money for this, money for this, money for this, money for this, it's so easy to make that our king, our master, and our Lord. And we need to step back and realize, no, it is not money and mammon that gives us security, but it is Jesus who gives us provision. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And what's incredible is we live in a, I mean, this is a worldwide... This would be a different sermon in different parts of the world. I totally get that. But that's not a sermon for the different parts of the world. This is a sermon for you. Right? So if you are sitting here at Marin Covenant, you, we live in a wealthy area. We live in America. Even the poorest people in America have air, conditions, air conditioners and cell phones and Xboxes. Right? We live in a, such an affluent context. And so we need to put the decimal point in the right place and to let Jesus um, be the provider. Let Jesus meet our needs. And, um, and so, and my God will meet all of our needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. So one of the ways I think that we cannot serve both mammon and God is if we're looking for mammon to be our security, mammon to be the thing that's going to get us all the way through our entire life, and that tunes everything, we need to step back and know let Jesus be that person instead of mammon. The other is this. I think mammon is a coping mechanism. I don't know about you, but I love buying new things. I love them. It is this incredible, it's like the most uh, appropriate way to get a dopamine high, right? You can go and you buy something and you feel incredible about it. And what's, what's wild is 
It's a chemical. It's a chemical thing. When you buy something, you feel great. And what's crazy is in a day, that feeling's gone. Like that thing you look at, you're not like, oh, I still feel so great about it. This was a long time ago, but I remember when the iPad mini first came out. So the iPad came out and it was really cool, but then the iPad mini came out. And like I said, I'm a laggard, so I didn't get the iPad. But I'm like, you know what? When the iPad mini comes out, I'm going to get this thing. And I was so excited about it. I, I spent like the first two months reading everything I could read about it. And I was going to show up at the Apple store the day it came out so I could have the very first one. And, uh, and there, back then when Apple, like they tried to be all tricky, you know, they never knew when they were going to release it. And uh, so I went up to the mall and waited outside for an hour. And then they was like, oh, no, just kidding. It's tomorrow. I'm like, oh, so anyway, I came back tomorrow and I bought it and I loved it. I turned it on. I played with some apps. I downloaded all my apps. And like an hour and a half later, I was like, hmm, okay, on to the next thing, right? Because an iPad at the end of the day is pretty darn boring. Just like a new pair of shoes, new dress, new whatever. Every single thing we do, it just is a coping mechanism. It just helps us get from point A to point B. And what's interesting is for many of us, mammon, is a tool that we use to keep us on these, this perpetual dopamine high. And we're asking that mammon is our coping mechanism. And we, instead of allowing Jesus to be the person who molds us and shapes us. Now, it's interesting is um, throughout Scripture, there wasn't disposable income the way that there is now. And, um, but there's this passage that I think is really powerful. It's about alcohol in this case, but I think it works for... Um, materialism as well. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and when I've read this passage, I mean, you can do, don't drink, that's part of it. But I think the deeper meaning, what's really going on here is don't do these things that, are cope, that, that you cope. Like life is so hard. All of humans for all of human history have found ways to cope because life is really hard. It's physically hard, it's emotionally hard, it's spiritually hard. And humans for all of human history have found ways to make themselves feel better. Alcohol has been a thing that's been around forever and ever and ever, right? Drugs and alcohol, that's a, a huge way in which they do it. But we're good Christian people, so we don't just get drunk every day because we're trying to love Jesus. But yet, so we find like the, the Christian appropriate ways to get high, right? To get that dopamine fix. And I just think it's helpful to know that mammon is one of those things that we use to, to find comfort and fulfillment. And instead of asking mammon to do that, I think Jesus longs to be our comforter. Jesus is the one who promises to sit with us and to be with us. It's, we are so fast to find other coping mechanisms, other ways to get through a hard day. And when we do that, we usurp Jesus from the opportunity to be the one, to be God, to be the comforter, to be the person that sits with us and cares for us in our life. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians, it says this. I mean, 2 Corinthians, sorry. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we then can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we also share our, in our comfort. Sorry, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And I just think it's helpful to know that life is hard. And we want to find the easiest way to find comfort. And mammon, materialism, the things that we buy are a really small and subtle thing that just helps us get to the next hour, through the next day. I don't need, I mean, I, I like coffee, but I don't need fancy coffee. I don't need fancy coffee every day at three o'clock, right? There's the other things I could do. There's other ways I can rely on Jesus to maybe show up in those places than Red Whale to satisfy all of my needs. Although I love Red Whale. Okay. Lastly, mammon gives me status. 
So I'm going to pick a, uh, an old example because I don't want to be judgy towards any of us in this room. But in 1985, Back to the Future came out. It was the most incredible movie of all time, Michael J. Fox. Um, and he had this skateboard. He, I don't remember the scene where he takes a little skateboard and he, he grabs onto the trucks and he goes around town. And he has the Walkman. And he was like, although looking back, he wasn't that cool. But I was in fifth grade back then. I thought Michael J. Fox is the man. And, uh, and he had this skateboard. And so for my uh, 10th birthday, I said, what do I, want, what do I want for my birthday? I want a, Valent, a, a Valterra skateboard like Michael J. Fox from Back to the Future. And because my parents were awesome, I got the skateboard. And I remember getting the skateboard being like, dude, I am, I'm the man. I walked around, I walked, showed my friends, I'm like, check out my skateboard. Two of my other friends had the exact same skateboard, right? Because they're like, this is awesome, because we all love Back to the Future. And, uh, and I remember, and so, I, so for my birthday, I got my skateboard and I got some money and, I, and I'm like, you know what? A new Weird Al tape is coming out and I'm gonna go get it. And, uh, and so I got my skateboard, I got my Walkman, I played my old Weird Al tape as I skateboarded to CVS to get the new, white, to get the new one. And I remember, like, this is funny, because I, I mean, I remember being 10 years old and there was no camera watching me, but I know from the inside, I was Michael J. Fox. And I'm skateboarding down the street, listening to La La Lasagna or whatever was on the deal, right? And I was like, I'm the man. And the reason I knew I was the man is because I had all these little indicators. I had the right skateboard, I had the right Walkman, and I was going to go get the right tape. And in my little 10-year-old world, I was the man, and my friends knew it. And we all, like, that was our currency. How did you know if you were awesome? Because you had these things. And I use that example because if I gave all of the examples today, right, all of a sudden the sermon would no longer be about you, but it'd be about the person to your right and to your left. But let's be honest, we live in a context where labels matter, where we go grocery shopping says something about who we are and what we value. The cars we drive say something about who we are and what we value. The brands that we buy say something about who we are and what we value. And we walk around making sure that everybody knows our status because we have given a nod to certain things that tell everybody else about who we are. And I think if we're honest, mammon gives us status. There's this passage, this is brutal. I didn't really want to say it, but, I, but I'm going to, because why not? You can send me an email. Ladies, the ladies kind of take, take, take the brunt on this one, but I just thought it was an interesting passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, I want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. That's so nice. <laughs> the reason why I hesitate doing that because it's like such a sexist statement and I get that or whatever. The reason why I wanted to say it is because what's interesting is back then men had ways that they showed their wealth and they showed their status. And what women did is they, women found these subtle um, accessorizing ways to show their status, right? And there was braided hairs and gold or pure pearls, and they would do these little sort of nods to show their status. The, everyone knew who the men, the status, the, the male status people were, but that, the, those were little nods that women did. And what's interesting is we live in a context where it's, it's not just women who do that, right? All men do it. I'm not saying we don't wear braids. I'm not saying we don't wear a certain kind of clothes. I just think it's interesting um, that this thing of wanting to show status has been around forever and ever and ever. This just happens to be about women, but I think for all of us, 
Gosh, what if it wasn't our status, right? These little nods to give us status, but it was our character, right? That it was our good deeds that proved who we were and who our status was. And so what happens is mammon, materialism, ends up usurping what God wants to do in our life. And instead of God being the one who gives us status, right, it's these other things. And so at the end of the day, we need to remember that it's Jesus who gives us status. Now, I've had a sheet like this in my Bible ever since I was in high school. There was this book called um, something like Our Identity in Christ. It was purple and it was... It looked cool for its time. But ever since, my, that book has long gone, been gone. But a sheet like this has been in my Bible or on my bulletin board ever since. And I love it. It's who I am in Christ. Because our status, our value, our purpose, it gets so messed up. There's so many things that try to fill that void, that try to fill what those things are going to be. And at the end of the day, it can't be where we shop that gives us status. It can't be the clothes that gives us status. It can't be our cars that give us status. What gives us status is our very being, and our very being is connected to Jesus Christ. So I have this, this little sheet. I actually printed some up in the back and in the weekly devotion, and I'll send you the link. And it's not complex. It's just a little Bible verse, and it says what it says. I highlighted a couple that I wanted to share. And John 1.12 says, I am God's child. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, I have been bought with a price and I belong to God. Ephesians 1.3, I have been chosen by God and adopted as his child. Colossians 2.9-10, I am complete in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, I am confident that God will complete the good work he started in me. Philippians 3.20 says, I am a citizen of heaven. John 15, 16 says, I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, I am the God's temple. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, I am a minister of reconciliation. Ephesians 2, 10 says, I am God's workmanship. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Those are the things that God longs for us to know in our life. And when we look under the hood, when we look under who are we really doing, how are we doing in our walk with God, when we recognize our relationship with wealth, we need to take a good look and see, is our relationship with wealth actually impacting God to be our provider, right? God um, to, to be the one who gives us comfort, or God the one who gives us our status and identity. It says that no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I have one quick practice for you to try this week. Can you go one week without spending money? Now I get your car probably needs gas, and you might need some groceries for food, but could you go one week without spending any money? So that's challenge number one. That's like... Take a crack at it. See what happens. The spiritual discipline, though, I'd like for you to think about is as you refuse to spend money, oh, I'm going to go down to Red Whale and get a coffee. Oh, that's $4. What if you just had a little log and just kept track of what you were going to spend money on? Even more so, what if you kept a little log and said, why was I going to go do that? Am I bored? Am I nervous? Am I lonely? Am I anxious? Do I want to be with my friends? Like, whatever the thing is. Like, and so, up oh, Red Whale Coffee at four, I'm bored. Okay, just a little note. So, if you go a whole week without spending money, that's, that's, that's entry level. Second level, to consider what in the world is going on inside of you when you spend money. Master's level. Try this. What if 
as you reflect this week and you realize how you spend money and how you relate to money, what if you realize, oh my goodness, I am so fearful that I'm not going to have enough money for retirement or for the next thing. And I need, I, I actually, money matters and I need money for the long term in my life. Well, if that's the case, what happens if all of a sudden you just didn't spend that 80 bucks this week? It's crazy when you start thinking about how it adds up or 40 bucks, whatever. If you just take that money at the end of the week, write yourself a check and say that chunk of money and you just put it in your savings account. That's like a good money manager would tell you to do. You would have just splurged it on anything, but you are so fearful about what's next. Take those things that you splurged on and save it. I am so impressed my mom. She's a total beast. She's retired. She has like this total tiny retirement income, and yet she's managed to find a way to travel all over the world like at least twice a year because she, how she spends her money. It's incredible. It is incredible. So that's one thing. Save it. What if the way after you think about how you spend money and as you reflect on all your money and you realize this is just a coping mechanism. I'm spending money because I need dopamine all day, every day. And if that's the case, then I would suggest write a little check and next Sunday put in the offering plate and say, Jesus, I'm offering you this money as a symbol, as a token to recognize these are the things that I wanted to comfort me and to care for me, but instead I'd rather have you comfort me and have you care for me. And lastly, give it away. Maybe you're someone who's really wrestling with status and materialism and you want people to know how great you are by the things that you buy buy or what you do. So instead, maybe you just need to take that chunk of money and you just need to anonymously give it away. Someone in your community who needs it, an organization that needs it, some anonymous way where you get no street cred, where you get none of the glory and you just get to say this money is an offering to this person because my status and my value is not what other people think about me and how great I am, but it's what Jesus has to say about me and how great I am because I'm his kid.